BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello, friends. Welcome to Unsiloed, the show that busts the echo chambers. If you dig hearing opposing perspectives about big issues from a point of mutual respect, if you like debate but love light, not heat, welcome home. So a couple a couple things. Number one, we're joined by Stephen Chuck, friend of the show, co-host this week again. This is is this two or three for you co-hosting? Uh, this is three. This is three co-hosting. Our highest rated episodes, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they're not. I'm saying that for Jesus's benefit. <laughs> by the way, uh, prayers and good thoughts for Jesus, who's dealing with a, 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 a sick relative, and uh, we hope that situation works out. So he's doing more important things, Stephen, than being on this show. Amen. Um, by the way, the whole thoughts and prayers that I always, now it's become like a bone of contention. It's like, you know, there's certain people who are like the thoughts and prayer, the prayers part of thoughts and prayers is like meaningless. So now I see a lot more, our thoughts are with you. Isn't thoughts even more immaterial than prayers? I'm going to ask you to pause for a second. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think that's accurate. Okay. Um, Tell me why. Well, I do think that most people in a situation like the one you just described and wishing somebody well, uh, I had somebody who I like tell me he had a stroke today and I was like, oh my goodness, you know, uh, thoughts and your prayers are both gestures and I think most people can appreciate them. Um, the hollow aspect of that is post mass shooting, Mm. right? That's where, I think that's where that, uh, sort of, uh, uh, event and then response starts to is following hollow. And I think I can, I can definitely understand that uh, as well. Uh, I, I would hope in, in, in uh, deeply that uh, there's not a larger trend of people saying, I don't, you know, like, I don't care if you think of things for me, uh, give me money or, you know. Yeah. And that's not what I was referring to. I, th- I don't think, but I think that what you just said is exactly my problem with it is the fact that you think it's hollow is that you believe largely it's meaningless. In that instance. Okay. In that Let's instance. Let's take that instance. A, a prayer in the instance of a mass shooting, doesn't that have a lot to do with what you think prayer actually is or what it does? No, it has to do with the fact that there's, that there, that there's a path to potentially reducing those events. And it has nothing to do with thoughts or prayers because everybody knows what to do to reduce those events. Got it. Okay. So you think that, or the position by somebody who would think that way would think that the prayer, a person who's praying for that situation 
couldn't want to do anything material either. In other words, they're they're saying I will only pray for this situation. But it still goes back to the same thing, it's, Stephen. It's, it's, you 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 got to fundamentally believe prayer does nothing. You I, you have to. I I just disagree. Then why would I it be meaningless? Then why would it be hollow? Um, and like my standpoint is, I'll tell you this. My standpoint is, I believe that prayer changes things for real, like in the real world. I believe that prayer is maybe the most powerful thing we can do when it leads to action. Right. So it has a fun. So then fundamentally, it leads to action that somebody does. So I mean, listen. Maybe you start saying, "I'm I'm praying that somebody does something about that." Let's start to say that. Mm-hmm. Maybe try that for a while and see if people react. Really. But I, I, again, I, I I don't see it in that instance as people having an aggressive reaction to the spirit spirituality or the, the religious yeah. nature of it. Uh, I have it to be like th- that's not working. It's getting worse. It's time for legislation. It's time for some real rules. Let's discuss why we need, uh, you can have a weapon. Do you need one that can bust off 500 rounds in two minutes? Really? Why why do you need that one? Mm -hmm. What prayer led you to that place? Mm. It's really interesting too, because I would say that the people on the pro-life side of the pro-life argument would say, we were praying for 50 years and we were waiting for 50 years and we knew that something was wrong that was happening but we were patient and our prayers were ultimately rewarded. Do we think it would take as much to, I mean, like, I don't know. I'm just saying like, you know, that they, they would say, yeah, sometimes you pray and things don't happen right away. Um, and sometimes you do and they do, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I, they didn't I, stop praying. That was what I'm saying. I, I they did, just kept praying. I, I agreed to step in since Jesus is, 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 <laughs> Is, unav- is unavailable today, yeah. uh, in part to do a mea culpa, which I don't know how often you start the shows with those, but like I was completely wrong as relates to inflation on the last show. That's also a very clever changing of the subject, yeah. which is brilliant. I, uh, I well, I'm, I'm, I'll let you go ahead. I'm Steven. wondering if, we, if we're going that like I was just wrong, and I, I I can't remember. It's even worse. The, the narrative's even worse because. I remember a big discussion when I got my degree in economics about flaws in how they calculated inflation. And as I recalled it, it was because there are big missing buckets. And the reality is, is it covers everything that I said it didn't cover uh, rent and gas, you know, transportation, shelter, food, all those, a lot of those things are, are in it. There I are things that you have a degree in economics. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to mention the school because they should be embarrassed right now. But um, anyway, I was, there was, we had a long discussion about it. And I just, in that moment was thinking there were some big missing things from it. There are still some missing things and they are, they're, they're massively complex indexes and there are multiple versions of them. And there's, there's regionalities. There's a inflation generally tied to the consumer price index, the CPI. There's a CPIU, which is urban. There's a CPI, I think R for rural. And they don't, it's hard to correlate those because what rises in the cities doesn't always rise in the rural areas. What do you think most people think about when they hear inflation though? What, what do they think it, they, what do you think they think it means? Well, I think they mean, I think. This means junk it, is more expensive. Yeah. Prices are going up, which is true. Yeah. And we're, and we're, and one of the places to so much salvage my position where it misses sometimes is when there are comparable goods. So if there's a good in the basket that they use to measure and the price goes up and people are responsive to that price and do something else. So if everybody had a flex fuel car right now, like you like do, me. and they could stop going and buying the $5 gas and buy the 350 or 320 gas 320. I saw recently. Then you'd have over inflation overstated because, well, yes, gas prices continue to rise, but but everybody shifted to this other good. And there's there's things about it that way, but it it definitely 
has the the shelter and and some of the things that I I incorrectly stated that it didn't. Uh, well, what's the mea culpa? I missed it. So you, you just the statement of the hey when when you mentioned the when you mentioned what the Fox host said yeah. about about how primed the Republicans were to just smash to, and they didn't to yeah. to kick butt and. And they uh, they they continue to whiff to a the farther out we get the more they whiff to a greater degree right mm-hmm. um, and and Jesus mentioned inflation and I was like yeah no, yeah I said it's it's not even reflective of how bad things could be but but in that moment I was completely off so mm. starting uh, well you're and, allowed to do that I mean I, look I definitely wanted to talk about and and, and, and great out look how he changed the subject that was awesome <laughs> I definitely wanted to, there's a lot of stuff going on by the way it turns out um, so but one of the things that I want to talk about is this sort of in you know sort of unending election in the midterms right I mean here we are in L A. We live in L.A. and we still don't know who the mayor of L.A. is. And this is more than a week out at this point, which I think you also admitted at some point. I was like, OK, well, that's just too long. Right. To, like at some point, you and I talked about this. There were it was four days in and they had 30 percent of the vote counted. But we're in this in the throes of this election, which still hasn't ended. And what we observed last week were some things that we thought were sort of interesting. But the sort of, you know, the the the, the insights or the themes have continued to evolve, right? And one of them is what you just said, which is the further this goes on, the worse it seems that the Republicans did. Even though there were some interesting things, which we'll get to, but but the worse it seems that they did. Is that fair? Is that where you were going? I mean, I think that would be the case. We had uh, Arizona uh, governor called last night. Right. Um, there's been at least a couple seats that ended up, um, I think, since that podcast. Going blue. By the way, just on that one, just by itself, let's take aside the candidates. Forget who they are. Where are you on how vigorous or muscular a campaign should be vis-a-vis debates and public appearances and things like that? Because I think on the objective level, the woman who won, I forget her name right now. What's her name? Katie Hobbs. Hobbs. So Katie Hobbs, the governor of Arizona. Secretary of State of Arizona. Well, now. Governor-elect. Now governor-elect. Um she didn't debate her opponent, right? She she made very few like public, um, you know, whatever rallies or things like that. Now, some of it can just go to strategy. And if you think that you're up against, um, you can make the case that Biden, uh, yes, it was fortuitous. It was in COVID, but it was also probably a decent strategy to not have to go out and do much against Trump. Let him go out and get everybody riled because he didn't need to do much. So it could it could be strategy. But how do you feel? How do you feel about that? Like as a voter, do you expect people to have debates? Do you expect them to make a lot of public appearances, shake a lot of hands, kiss a lot of babies? Or do you think all of it is strategy dependent? Forget about the women that ran. I'm just talking about in general. So personally, I would prefer to see a debate between okay. candidates. Generally, if that debate is going to end up going Trumpian, like if you're debating a guy who you went to high school with mm-hmm. and he was at the party where you got drunk and peed your pants and that was all he's going to talk about in your political debate 25 years later, I don't know that that debate is worth seeing. It doesn't help anybody. It certainly riles people up. But like, so there's certain there, I would like to see a debate. I'd like to see a real debate. I don't want to hear somebody name calling. I don't want to hear, I don't want I don't want to hear that. They can get at each other. They can say that's a stupid idea. But, but to, but it is, they are so far away from things that matter when they talk in a lot of these cases that I, I, you know, it is completely, uh, I was 
butcher this word when I try it, but superfluous, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And in in her case, and I don't know a lot about Hobbs, she's competent enough to become Secretary of State, so I imagine she's a pretty accomplished person, but I could see there's a reticence to be with a, with a broadcast professional, right? And it'd be like, it wouldn't make sense for a first-time salesperson to pitch against you. In a pitch off. Um, so I can see some of that. I don't, pref- I, but I would prefer to hear my candidates debate, but I'd like to hear them describe their platform. I'd like to hear them describe the flaws in the candidate's platform and not have it degenerate to the personal name calling that it's, it's become. And, and to that point, I think Trump has elevated that to rile up his base. He didn't help himself in the debates against Biden. And if anything, there's in a 2020. lot in, yeah. Yeah. And, and if anything, there's a lot to go back and look at what Arizona was and how red it was since 1950 and what's happened in the last two elections. And that's people coming out and people saying whether or not I want this, I don't want, I don't want any of that. I think that, um, so on the debate thing, I agree with you and I would want debates. I do prefer debates. I also prefer debates to be substantive and all of that. I think, though, that you bringing up what you did, and I think it's fair that a lot of these debates end up becoming just kind of talking over or whatever, but it kind of speaks to how immaterial or insignificant the rules are that these candidates agree to, because they, they're supposed to have rules before each debate that both sides agree to. So in other words, your issue about, I peed my pants 25 years ago, and that's the only thing you're going to talk about for an hour, technically shouldn't happen because it's clear we're going to cover these topics over this period of time. So- is it, be, is it that we just can't take at their word or we can't value these agreements that these candidates make? So I can remember it? I can remember a lot of debates in my life. I'm going to butcher the names, but, you know, you remember the Quayle debate with... Uh, Ross Perot. No, no, no. Now, I remember that one. Um, oh, Dan Quayle and uh, what's his name? Older guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're no, you're no Jack Kennedy, right? You're no Jack Kennedy. Right. And so, and point being is... Those debates, I think, followed very broadly with some deviation, but very broadly the the framework that you just laid out. The person that doesn't, that's popularized not following the framework, is 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 Trump. Is Trump, and it's not that every mm-hmm. it's, he's not the first to ever do it. And I know there's been populists and there's people on all sides now that that do it, and there always have been. But I do think that that we're at a moment in time where people seem much more willing to tolerate that. They're tuning into the debate like they tune into a WWE match. Yeah. Yeah. And he definitely brought that. The one liner was always something expected, right? The you're no Jack Kennedy. You got to have one. Or Reagan, when they talked about his age, he's like, yeah, you're right. There's been with far younger and far less experienced than I am or whatever it was. (laughs) There's always those like one liners that people remember. But it definitely it took on a completely different character, like a sort of a circus atmosphere and a W. It's a SmackDown is what it is. But the SmackDown is, yes, he is a major driver of the SmackDown. But the SmackDown is Twitter. The SmackDown is the Daily Wire. The Smack the SmackDown is, I mean, to some extent, CNN and MSNBC. Well, like what, that's but, it's become a way to communicate. But then, what, so there's nothing wrong with using platforms to communicate, and there's nothing wrong with that type of thing. But to your point, I can do it in a myriad of places. I could go deliver four flavors of that SmackDown on six, on four different platforms, on 10 different platforms. I can't engage in a debate where I pull back a little bit. I can't debate, engage sure. in a debate. like, And that's that's the thing, right? There's just – there's no 
I just, I could see somebody saying, I'm not going to go against a media professional who I know is uninterested in actually having a discussion, who I actually might be able to outthink or out or out debate if we, if we're staying within these frameworks. The only reason I don't like that kind of thinking though, is because it puts you at the center of arbitration for the population that's voting. In other words, like, yeah, I get that, but that's part of this job. You're still supposed to show yourself there next to the other person, no matter how little you think of them so that I can make the decision. It's not just about you, you know? So that, that's the reason I don't like that is because it centralizes the candidate rather than the population that's voting. So, I mean, I think within that though, there's a big circle here, uh, whether it's circle or, Online, I don't know. With you, it's a yeah. It's always a circle. Hexagon. <laughs> yeah, they use and they're by overlapping. The way, by the way, the the consumer price index they use a geometric mean uh, for the of goods that they, they use. Do, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I blanked on where I was going there. Tea. Oh, oh, you uh, you made a point last time about not liking the idea that you have to come from the. You have to have experience. I don't in that think space it's a disqualifier. It. I, as, I much agree as, with as, you. as much as it is, I, I, you agree with me, but you also you. No, I completely agree with you. But but now we're extending it. So now right. not only should you do you not have to have any experience in this space, which I agree. You can have you can have domain experience. You can have related experience. But you have to be really comfortable talking in front of a big crowd, which not everybody is. And just because you can't do that, because you can't give a fiery stump speech. Doesn't mean you might not be a brilliant legislator. Doesn't mean you might not be a brilliant operator yeah. behind the scenes. Of right? course. Um, I mean, look at it. Look at Elon Musk. He's not anybody. He's not an orator. Like he's not going to hold you in rapt attention. Maybe because you think you're going to pick up some great insights or gems. But in terms of his cadence, his manner of speaking, his level of uh, of of uh, projection, like he's not a very good speaker. And yet, <laughs> Zuck. You know, look at Zuck. Look at Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> another guy was like, you know, robotic uh, at a different level. So I, I agree with that. But I do think that public office, you know, it, you should be comfortable enough to get in front of people and talk, whether or not you're going to be, you know, Churchill or something is a different story. But to say, I'm just not good at this, therefore I won't. I mean, is that what you're well, saying? Well, I'm just I'm just saying it's I'm saying we're starting to create a bar that I feel like gets to be hard. So not only so you can't just actually be a policy wonk. You gotta be performative too. You gotta be performative too. And if that's the case, then well, that's life sometimes. Maybe it's going that way. I think we lose something. Don't you think Obama raised that bar too, though? Yeah, but that's because I mean, I'm gonna sound like I'm coming from the side, but like the dude, the dude could do both. Right? Like just I mean, so yeah, but not every not every sprinter can be a decathlete, and had zero and, experience literally when and, you became president. And very few decathletes, um, you know, are great are are you know singular sprinters. See, right? so you, made, you made two points simultaneously, Stephen. That people don't need experience, and that they can be orators uh, and good operators at the same time. They can be, but you also. But I'm just saying in the so in the case going back to Katie Hobbs and Carrie Lake. She, there's a calculated decision there, and again, I don't know exactly. You're, I'm following your lead here. I'm assuming that there was either were there no debates at all, none. Yeah, like I, I'm not. And the get, rationale was kind of what you just said. I'm I mean, not going to get up there and let you trump me. Her, her rationale was well. Her rationale was even worse or better, depending on how you feel about it. But she said that she didn't want to provide a platform for her that way. And again. It sounds noble in one way, but on the other side, it's like, but wait a minute, though. It's about me, the voter, not about you. So go and debate. And if the person ends up being 
you know, a complete loon, I'm going to know. In a way, doesn't it speak a little bit to this idea? I'll let you talk, but just to get, finish my, my thinking here is it goes in a way to one of the, 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 the constant rubs you hear right of center, which is, you know, people left of center think people are stupid. Like they really don't value you. It's like you're, you're just like a, you know, like a wandering farm animal and I'm here to help. I know what's best for you. Just listen to me and just be quiet. Right. That's a, that's a pervasive thought right of center that secretly or publicly people think you're really stupid and can't make up your own, your own mind. And it plays into that in a way. I don't, I'm not saying she intended that, but in a way it does because I'm going, yeah, she might be, she might end up saying the same thing. You peed your pants 25 years ago and only want to talk about that. Great. Then I'm going to win by 80 points instead of having a margin of victory. That's like basically the population of an elementary school at this point. So like, do you see what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that strategy shouldn't play a part in this, but there should be some things that are like sacrosanct in elections. And I, I put debates as one of them. Like, so there's, there's two, there's two parts to this that we, that I think we that I'd like to acknowledge. And the first is we both kind of made the assumption that if you don't debate, you're not publicly available for your constituency. And that does not have to be true. It's so true. she could have Correct. done town halls. Sure. I'm not going to debate her because I'm not going to get on stage and give her a platform to to do that, to act in the fashion that I believe she will. But I'm going to be here every Tuesday and Thursday. Every every Tuesday and Thursday, I'm going to go through the state and mm. do this. So we don't. I don't know. Maybe she did that, and that would be one counter to what we're saying. Is like I'm not going to debate you, but I'm going to have ask me anything's on Reddit, and I'm going to do town halls the live long day. I'm available to my constituents. Ask me any question they want about how about how I'm going to run about the state. Unde- what about undecided people though? People who are not your constituent. I guess they are if you're the secretary. If you're the of governor, state. then you're they're all your constituents. Right, but you're not yet the governor. You're a secretary of state so that you guess you could still say constituent. Well, the, I mean, but, the office you're running for, you're you can you should be available to anyone who would be a constituent of that office. Right, including people who are not your voter, at least not now. In other words, anybody in the state, anyone who's a resident of the state, she's running for governor. She's going to be their governor. But there's something about a side by side comparison, dude. Like literally, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. And I I would as I started, I would prefer it. But in 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 a modern moment, I can completely understand why it's not there. And the other thing I want to say before we go too far there. When you talk about making about me, but the voter like, you know, in the back office here at a couple moments, we've had discussions about, you know. A very old concept of of how I mean whether or not there should be a qualification to vote on some level, right? And 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 it's it just strikes me that you can say that the right of center thinking is that the left thinks that everybody's needs to be taken care of and they're not that smart. Right. At the same time, those same circles that you're talking about pointing the finger that way are circles that definitely talk about. The idea of of really restricting the amount of people that can vote, or the ways that you can vote, or why you should be able to vote. So, I, I those two things don't can't live together very simply for me. Mm. All right, so l- l- let's talk about a couple things related to this topic. Um, so, we're still counting votes. How do you feel about that? Let's just talk about that one. Still today, Tuesday of the following week of elections. We're let's still let's votes. leave it to LA. Okay. Uh, so, here's what I would say. But not just in LA. There's outstanding house races. I understand, but let's let's focus on here. Yeah, right. There's, I guess, is is it just around a million, two million, one? I'm not sure what the count is. Yeah, it's a small number relative to the size. Not a huge number. But we accept votes in a multitude of formats, and I think some of those formats have a quick read component, and some of those formats have a human component. And the part that I don't know uh, is that. 
how how much of that is literally now a manual process. And we're used to this universe where uh, everybody going back to good Lord, what was the show? That's incredible. What's the show where the audience would vote? Like, oh, the, the stupid game shows where the audience votes for one, two or three or like, yeah. you know. Oh, wow. Just, that's nostalgic. I mean, like, crazy, I right? But it, it's 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 live, right? It happens. They vote and boom, it's, you know, one, yeah. two, three, two, yeah. one, top three. Mm-hmm. And we think that, you know, now everything's that, that's digitized and it all moves that way. But in reality, uh, there's things still that require that hand count. So I, I don't know for a fact what does get hand counted, what doesn't. I don't know what gets verified or what doesn't. You can't come back, though, in my mind and say that's it's slow because they're they who you know my air quotes for the mm-hmm. for the listening audience uh, are cheating. Right. Or they're or they're they are switching votes. Like I think at the end of the day, like. They are being thorough and it's taking longer because we have more formats now that, that, that people can vote under. I don't know that for a fact, um, but I, I've seen too many like lifelong Republicans who run the voting process in their state being like, we've never been more thoughtful and deliberate than we have been because of not because of the scrutiny, but just to be doubled up. Right. And the other problem that you have, and this is the thing that somebody says is. Elections are closer than they've ever been. It used to be that at some point you've Just got a third math. of the votes left uncounted. It does not matter. Every single one plus could come in for the other guy, but he lost. See, that's interesting. I mean, I think about like Reagan in 84, when it, no, 88 or whenever it was. His second term was 80. I guess he ran in 84, right? Because he was from 80 to 84. Well, the one where he beat Mondale, right? He won every state. He won 80, every state except Minnesota. And that was close. But Not like he Mondale's won every, state. Yeah. So popular vote, electoral vote, obviously by like hundreds. So in that case, you can see that tsunami come and you're like, look, I mean, unless... You still don't know technically, but you can make that you well, can make the prediction. And, and this is the narrative, right? The the narrative of going back to sixteen, or sorry, going back to twenty was we're up early and things are going great. And then what happened? Obviously, they flipped a switch. Like no, they started counting the stuff. And and again, I don't know the patterns of people better first suspect it, but. I didn't used to vote by mail. I always went to the ballot box about so, day. And as soon as I could do it on a computer, I was doing, I was going to those places to do it on a computer. Now I do it via mail. Well, let, let, let me, so yeah, so do I. Well, not by, not via mail, but I drop off. It, yeah, drop, drop off. off. So um, let me ask you this. Do you believe that the elections that were held in Florida and the vote count in Florida was legitimate? I believe that the election that was held in Florida, I'm assuming you mean in 2000. No, just Tuesday, last week. Do you have any reason – do you do you accept the, the results of the election in Florida? The people who won, in DeSantis, that, like do you believe – Without question. Without question. Okay. Do you accept them in Arizona? Without question. Okay. And both of those states did the same thing, essentially. They counted the day of vote. They counted the people who mailed it in, the military, the absentee stuff and whatever – and one one of those vote counts was done day of projections, winners, and all that stuff. And the other one, we're still we just found out about last night, I guess, in the case of the governorship of of Arizona. And reasonable people would look at that and go, "Well, I accept both of them, but why is one does one take another week?" And I know that there's state laws that vary. So in Arizona, there might be additional state laws, but to but to not be able to say. Well, why don't we just do them all like Florida? If we agree with both of them, it's like in business. I don't know that we, but so I don't know that they did them different at all. The difference is the margin of victory. The difference is there was a point 
however many days ago, where it doesn't matter if every uncounted vote goes to uh, I, Char- I hear Charlie you. Crist. Right. Crist. Crist. Um, DeSantis is going to win. I, I hear you on that one. But there were much closer, you know, house, uh, uh, state house races and other ones in the state. And yet the process was over far faster. So I want to. So just so we're on the same page here. The amount of votes that need to be counted differs by race. Mm-hmm. So a statewide vote like governor requires that all votes from all counties, right? Whereas the more representational votes or the state senators, like there aren't a ton, right? There's governor, senator. Yeah, there's a few hundred thousand or whatever. Maybe not even that. Right. So so the ones that are going to take the longest are the ones when all of the votes from that particular state require counting and they're super close. And they may, maybe they're even doing double checks now along the way that we don't even hear about, right? Instead of like, oh, it was close enough to file for a recall or fi- file for a recount. Like, and the recounts used to make a lot of sense when everything was hand ballot done. Now in the, you're in a place where like if we captured 85% of the vote in, in a computer program or in a, in, a, in, a, in a digitally counted way, tracked way that we know to the millionth percentile is accurate, then we don't have to recount it. Mm. Right. Um, so, so you think I, that accounts for the difference, which is a week at this point in those tabulations is the closeness of those in, races. In all honesty, I'm, I'd be the wrong guy to ask, but from a digital operation standpoint in the world I played in, I can, I can understand why certain things do. And the, at the end of the day, when you are up by a thousand votes with 5,000 to go, we're going to probably have to count those 5,000. You know, we're after going to count every single one. And it used to be, I mean, who knows? They got it wrong, right? Who was it? Uh, Truman, right? When Truman run, they, they called it for the wrong guy yeah, and took overnight to do it. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that there are so many different, I mean, one turnout's been better than it ever, you know, turnout is growing. Right. Modalities are increasing. Not all of them are easily just- But so is technology though. So you think that there'd be an offset to at least make it at parity- if not, it seems like we're getting slower. So that, but that's a place where I do think you need to pause. Like, I do not know what it takes to count and authenticate my ballot as a drop-in, right? Like I'm signing the envelope, but the ballot's here. So there's a, there's an authentication piece there that has to happen. And then the, I'm, I'm positive that the ballot's digitally read, but. But I don't know what that takes to, either, to do that but, step. But, and it's, but it seems that whatever's involved seems to be getting more protracted, not faster, is what I'm saying. Seems to be. In other words, yeah, it, there could be lots of steps. But well, if you, I mean, so if you went back to 2000, right? Like it was protracted because they literally were hand recounting and holding up and paper you ballots. say what you say and I say what I say. And then there's a third party there to help us decide. So I would like to see though, your point is a really good one that I would like to see the trend of tightly contested elections over the last 20 years. Like I haven't seen that analysis of like how many races overall were won by a margin of victory and what that percentage is in Congress and in the Senate in the house and the presidency governorships. My sense is obviously as polarization increases, tight, the tightening would increase. This is one of those things. This is a business idea I'll throw out there. It's a terrible one, but it's also fantastic. Like you start a, there's a company called What We Said, 
And it's, uh, you'd read in a podcast and then you'd have somebody do the fact checking and then you'd have somebody create an infographic <laughs> right. to address all the topics. And then you'd post that along with the drop ours of the show. Would, ours would look like a Rorschach test. <laughs> yeah. But think like the, the graphic you just said is it'd be great. It's like, it, like, and it does exist. It's out there. Some of the of data. Of course. About, you just got to like find it and plot it. But to your point, I would, how many ways can I vote now in LA? How many different modalities? Many and, what are are, and what are the modalities yeah. of, of counting them? And what's required to do it. And and to your point, like it's a close race, but like, okay, it's been a while. What did we wait on? And some of, a lot of states after, um, I forget what it was after. It was after 20. Um, a lot of states made it illegal to start counting early because they that created this dynamic of freedom of information where, well, they have to release the results. And if it looks like somebody's kicking then butt. Then people won't go. And neither party wants that to go. Right. Like neither party wants that to happen. Yeah. So. Interesting. I would like to see that, that math. All right. Here's another trend. I'm going to read this to you and tell me what you think. This is from MSNBC. African-American voters shifted in the GOP's direction by 15 percentage points. Among black voters under 44, the Republican shift was remarkable at 22 points. Hispanics move rightward to the tune of 10 points overall and 18 points among Latinos under 44. White suburban women who fuel the Democratic resurgence in 18 delivered the presidency for Biden in 2020 voted Republican this year by seven points. Your comments, sir. What do you make of that? Because we had talked about a week ago, we said, hey, it looks like there's been some gains in these different groups. And now, I guess some of that now, because of the, the data's come in, has been validated. So the white dude commenting on this is... is well, the cultural... Uh, uh, approach it from a strategic standpoint. We had the whole strategy of the culture... Or, or the ascendancy of coalitions or the coalition of the ascendant, right? Obama's thing. We're going to bring all these different groups together and we're going to, in a way, it's kind of ironic because we're grouping them, but we're keeping them separate, right? Every, if you're black, you're black. If you're Latino, you're Latino. But we're going to take these disparate groups. We're going to rally them together because they're bigger and faster growing than the rest of the population. And that's going to be our ticket to win. Work for Obama. But it also presupposed in subsequent elections that those would hold, right? So... Is the, you know, ascendancy dynamic that Obama introduced, is that over? Is that shifting? I, and I, I know that all those numbers were direct shifts, but I think the question that I kind of have, and I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing the math in my head quick enough, is there's more voters potentially coming out of every demographic. And, and so are we going to see... Within that, you should see some peel away. And maybe that next group, that 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 additional group that came out is more heavily skewing uh, red than, than it would traditionally blue. So I would want to understand that in the context of what it's looked like. And then what's what and how much did the number, how much did the pool grow? And of the pool growing, maybe you'd have to expect some greater, um, uh, uh, what is it? Towards the mean, right? Uh, I, just, I, I just think that black millennials, because that's what this says, moving to the right by 22 points is like a story that, I mean, I can't believe that's on a well, headline and, everywhere. And again, going, going back to how, how, so what is the eligible voter base? What is the historical activated voter base within that eligible voter base? And then what are those splits trending like? And again, like I said, the more you start to see the total pool coming out and voting, you ought to actually see 
some some a greater trend towards a greater trend towards diversity and all diversity of vote. But I, I, you know, it's it's one of those things where I'm not. You can't answer it. Yeah, there's just I, I there's there's too many ways to go, and I'd want more data to to kind of um, to get my head around that. I think on some level, there's been a lot more black voices that are not progressive that have benefited from the social media exposure um, that are, you know, getting, having impact in the black community. I think that is what I think about when I see the black number specifically, because other dynamics, uh, socioeconomic family, et cetera, at least according to the data, haven't really evolved that much, right? The population on aggregate hasn't evolved either. It's still about 12, 13%. So in light of that, I would say that maybe some of those voices, you know, we used to, we came up at a time where there were leaders of the black community, right? Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, that's been atomized now into like thousands of voices, many of which are actually on the right and they get a lot of traction on social media. And I think that has had some effect. I think the Latino one, a lot of this is driven by Florida specifically and what's, uh, and what happened in Florida is pretty, you know, um, I guess, uncontested in terms of how red that state became. But I think another chunk of it is also that at least what I've seen is a, a more concerted effort to remind the Latino population that we care about more than just immigration. And that certain things, if you compare the platforms that are traditional Latino hallmarks, the importance of faith, the importance of family, the importance of other things there, you can, you can find alignment in the Republican party and that those things should matter too. I've seen more messaging in that direction. You see what I'm saying? So where before yeah, it was no. immigration, 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 and everybody was like, "Yeah, I, I don't want to get deported, or I don't want to do whatever, so I'm going to vote in this way." So one of the one of the things that I sort of struggle with personally in this is I always is I always sort of think about, especially we're talking about the country. I think about the map and you know the the span across it, and at the end of the day, all politics is local, right? So what you the dynamics you just described i'd actually want to see on the map where they occurred because i doubt they occurred the same everywhere mm. and it's probably specific pockets and you when you watch some of those shows about the political operators like they're influencing national elections and they're influencing stuff but at the same time like they're at a county level like we're not worried about that county we're doing that county that's that's the county that will carry the state and if we carry the state we get you know and so I'd love to understand, to your point, are those trends all in the South? Are those trends in Florida expressly? Is there possibly, uh, you know, I, I agree with the atomization comment at the same time, like, are there a couple leading stars? Are there a couple of, you know, pulsing lights out there that are actually drawing people in a regional basis into this one tent and and moving the needle Ooh. significantly, right? And and what would it take to do that? If if at the end of the day, only ten percent or fifteen percent, I'm not projecting here, but only fifteen percent of the eligible voters generally vote, and you moved it to twenty percent, and that extra that five, extra, extra five is all one way. That extra five percent mostly went one way because it was mostly driven by a couple of people. Well, it's very explicable. It actually. It doesn't make it more representative of the whole circle, gotcha. right, of the full populace. Yeah. So there's there's some dynamics there, but that's where and that's where from a data standpoint, like this is all 
massively trackable and massively you can visualize it in a way that makes it significant and helps you find those connections. By the way, your ec- economist uh, colors are showing for sure. I keep I forgot that you were one, so now it makes so much more I sense. I wouldn't say so, I was an economist. Well, I you, got a degree. What does that make you then? A person with a degree in economics? I would uh, call that an economist. I, uh, I can occasionally make two lines cross and put a graph on but it. It, it, <laughs> it explains so much, so much about you, my friend. That uh, No, but I think what the interesting question is what are – what do trends indicate over time, right? So my contention is you saw some of this happen in 2016 with both of these communities moving rightward. You saw it again in 20 and you're seeing it again in 22. Now you could say, okay, well, that's only six years. So maybe that's not enough time. Okay. But something seems to be afoot where at least there's much more questions that I have about the efficacy of something like the coalition of the ascendant. I just don't know that that gets it done like it used to. Well, so let's tease that apart a couple of ways. First is in the same way that I think Trump has activated people to vote against him and activated people to come vote against people that parrot that message. I think that there was a part of the, of the right, and of a different part of America that probably didn't want Obama to win, but we're not going to vote against him. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so there's a couple dynamics going on there. And then the other piece that you say that is like, again, I, I, I would need to see like, just because more black voters are voting blue in some of the polls or some of the results that you're talking about, does it mean that more of that community is becoming Republican? Mm. Right. So it's more like you mean red voting red, but sorry, voting yeah. red, voting red. It doesn't mean that it just means that that's those people were activated to come out this time. And there's, there's a couple layers of math behind it that you'd want to see to understand if there's actually a trend right? or is it a trend or an event? Right. And again, right. going back. So if you had 70% of the pop, the eligible population voting in all of those elections, and this was the result, you would say that's much more indicative of a trend versus. It doesn't even have to be 70. Un- it was more like if, if, of the eligible voters that voted, or if you could set it so it's like the pool stays the same or, you know, st- standardize that and you saw it, then sure. But again, I, I'd want to see it on a map. I'd want to understand where it's happening from and I'd want to be able to understand what might be the drivers behind it. A week ago, we also suggested that abortion was a big player in this election. And, and with a week of hindsight, I think we can also validate that initial response because in the exit polls, in all the subsequent things that I've read, it was a massive driver of decision-making in this election, especially among independents and the young. It was a huge, huge driver. Now, of course, you know me on a personal level, I think that's a great tragedy, but I also think that it necessitates by everybody who's not pro-choice, who's pro-life, to look at strategy there because- it's clear that our that the positioning that the pro-life movement has taken has gotten some things done, i.e. Roe and Dobbs and all that stuff. But now you're dealing with this sort of fallout of what that's created. And in a way, with the amendments in Michigan and in California and everything else and the exit polls, it's almost like you've created an even worse problem. Or you could say that. So therefore, you need to have a different strategy. At least that's what I would say if it was a business question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a third rail on here. Um, if your business question is about how do we now move forward and get it 
handled at the state level. I say there's a map that you could see where you're going to be able to do that. There's a map that you could see where from a business standpoint, you can't be recommending people go do business in that state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's, it's not going to happen. And, you know, it also, you know, creates a lot of interesting questions for CEOs all over the place. Right. Especially those who happen to be pro-life. It's like, well, now my people, you know, somebody comes to me and says, I want you to pay for my trip to California or to Michigan or whatever it is. You know, how do I, how do I contend with that? Real questions. You know what I mean? That I'm not sure everybody had their eye on, um, before this, this election, but it's certainly stuff I'm hearing about. You know what I mean? That would be a fascinating podcast to do the dynamic of, of goal attainment, right? Like, Meaning what? Well, how do we as humans really react when we get there? Like, oh shit, we did it. Yeah. And I'm not talking about Roe in this case. I, well, I am, but I'm not using, that's not my highlight example. My highlight example is like the dog that finally catches the car. What are you going to do well, with that and, and it's happening real time. I mean, I just read today that the um, Bishop of Washington, D.C., uh, Wilton Gregory, one of the few African-American bishops in the country, um, basically canceled a number of the events uh, around the National March for Life, which was an event that's been going on for the last 25 years. Millions of people descend in, on, in January, not a good month to do it, but whatever, descend in January on D.C. to March for Life. And the, the, the logic, to the extent I could figure out, was something on the lines of, well, this is now a state thing. So do we really need a national part of this? Um, and of course, people are going, yeah, we still do, but whatever. So there's real things that are happening at, at every level as a result of, of, uh, of that ruling and as a result of this election that I, that I think are going to necessitate a different look at this argument. And but, I'm, but I'm how, not but, saying conceding. To, to, to that point, though, how, how much of the discussion is about, so what happens when that happens? Like, does it? None. That, that, very, you, very few. Go very back to Going back to our time in business, like, very often do people want to stay in the meeting. Little, they don't want to finish the plan to get the, to get the goal one done. Right. right. Let alone actually, like, like, I'm going to talk about it for a couple minutes and I'm going to go do some other stuff and you'll, you'll guys, someone will figure it out. And by, if I was going to put percentages on it, I'd say it's 90, 10. Yeah. If that. So, so who sticks around to go and, and when this happens, what's next? Right. And how much of that was because maybe in spite of thoughts and prayers, people didn't really believe it was going to happen. Maybe. And after 50 years, I wouldn't blame them. Right. And I'm not, again, I'm decidedly on the other side, mm-hmm. but I do think there's a dynamic here that's, um, I want to move it more to the broader in the sense of, of the way people think about how they're going to accomplish things. And, and, and really more to that point, what are you really trying to accomplish? And I'm not asking that about this topic, but I'm saying, what are we really trying to do and what's, what's the best way to achieve it? And what's the best way to maximize it upon, upon, um, uh, upon completion or upon, upon success. Mm-hmm. And that is, um, I told you, I, I sent a, a note to someone in my family about that. Like, I'm not trying to take the joy out of the situation. Like you made something good happen. Now, how do we maximize it? Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to take off the shine of the, of the good news, but it's now like, let's, let's have a plan. Cause you and I have both seen plenty of things fall apart where there was no plan. Mm. I made, I did everything I needed to. I made it happen. And I didn't have a plan for what was going to happen once it happened. Well, that's a good segue then for this next thing, which has to do both with people being born and planning for what happens next. This week, the world population reached 8 billion people. And and I, I read an article that was like, we don't really know if it happened this week. 
But the models basically indicate that this is the time period when that would have actually happened. So the global population hits 8 billion people. And even though it's reached this huge number, the population growth rate is actually at its at its slowest rate since 1950. It's about 1% growth in 2020. And this report that came out estimates that there will be 8.5 billion people by 2030, 9.7 by 2050, and then a peak at right around 10.5 billion people in the 2080s. The other thing that I thought was really interesting about that is half of the increase in population, none of that increase is happening in developed nations, by the way, none. Okay. We're not even doing like birth replacement rates. We're like in the U S we're like 1.9, I think kids per couple. So if there's two, takes two to make a baby. We're not even replacing the people who are participating in the making of the baby, but the growth is coming from eight countries, Congo, Egypt, Ethiopia, India, Nigeria, Pakistan, the Philippines, and Tanzania. So a lot of African countries, Let's see, Congo is in Africa, Egypt is in Africa, uh, Nigeria is in Africa, Tanzania is in Africa, Ethiopia is in Africa, and the rest are, you know, Pakistan and the Philippines, basically. So a lot of Africa and some Asia with one Middle East sort of outlier. Um, And then the last point, just, you know, before I kind of open it up to your thoughts, but global life expectancy has gone up globally, 73. It's still well well lower than what we have here in the States, which I think is like 78 or 9. And it's it's projected to actually go even higher than that to 77 by the year 2050. So that's an interesting moment. I, th- I think about like the 60s. What was the guy that wrote that population explosion like way back then who projected that we basically all have eaten ourselves into starvation by like 1980 or something like that? He was wrong. But nevertheless, there's a lot of people who look at that number and go, wow, it's a lot of people. So I don't know if he was wrong. His timing was possibly off. I, I about did centuries, though, not years. I, I don't think that we are prepared as a species to operate at the at the level of density that we that we're getting to. But is that but if I push back on that, is that a very kind of urban Angelino thing to say because you live here? How how do you think like, have you been so to Idaho? I, I'm 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 it's rough for me to do this. I, I don't like it, but let me just ask a question. The countries that you named. How's their record on feeding everybody there? I, I I can't answer that. I mean, I would I would presume that they're developing nations. So do you think more. do you think do you think it's easier for anybody to eat here in LA than it is to eat? It's in far easier country? here. There you go. Yeah. So, far easier. So is it an urban Angelino thing, or is it maybe like we're actually seeing the best side of it? Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't think humanity is in any way prepared to operate at the level of scales it is. I don't think that we're we're prepared to help the populations that need it. You and your, your lovely wife do a ton of stuff supporting homeless communities. Like I, I just, I don't, I, I'm very nervous about that. And, and uh, uh, I, I don't have a good answer, unfortunately. And maybe that shouldn't be here if I don't, but, but I, I think, I do think that this is an area that's worth looking at and it's got nothing to do with where it's happening. Like that growth could come from anywhere. I think, you know, this is, this area is not an area that can stand. And to your point, yeah, there's room in Idaho. Are we going to open up an Idaho camp and move people to Idaho and Mm -hmm. without, without like, you know, where every, you know, there's so many different aspects of this about you, where you're, what you should be allowed to do, your right to do it, like blah, 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 blah. I just think that we, it's, it is something that needs to be looked at. And I know from a, a personal standpoint and religious standpoint, the, the idea to go forth and procreate is, is part of the equation, but I do not, 
it's just one of those things like we're we are not ready to operate at this and and in our lifetime it was four billion mm. and it's conceivable that to that end before we die I, if it really is slowing down I think that's actually good news for the planet um well this is the same report that just releases so if we take their if we take them at their word I think you and I have what how many how many more years do we have to live we've got uh statistically we've got about 30 years maybe not not quite statistically if, if the so that would take us to 2050 and it says it's going to be 9.7 billion in 2050. But again, you know, my, my thought is that a lot of this argument is kind of framed or, or the thinking of it is relative to like density, right? So what you said, right? The density of, of areas and, you know, anybody who's flown from LA to New York and you look out the window, you see a lot of very undense places, right? But let's, but let's, let's, Let's go in a different sense. Let's not even worry about density of, of location. Let's go about um, density go about, of resources, maybe. Well, <laughs> let's go with the density of capacity. Mm-hmm. And I mean personal capacity, right? There are people that are not going to be able to go out and there are people that are going to need help their whole life. And at a population of a million, that's a number. And a population of 10 million, that's a number. And a population of a billion, that's a number. And that number is going to keep going up. And we don't live in a place that does a lot to help the people that need the help. I'm also interested in what creates the dynamic for people to need help to begin with and trying to tamp down on those things effectively and stopping doing the things that don't fix those situations, right? You mentioned the work that we've been doing for 20, it's now 24 years. We started that work in 1999. And I can tell you from just personal experience, a lot of the constants that I see come up in people who are on the streets and whatever. And, you know, people would like to say it's drugs or it's, um, what's the other one? Mental illness. In my experience, Stephen, that is a vanishingly small percentage of the reasons that drive people to the streets. In fact, there's really, there's data on this of the people who actually pick up consistent drug use on the street. They, you know, they may have dabbled, like everybody dabbles a little bit, you know, when they have have a place to live, but it really goes bonkers when you get to the street. But to me, to me, to me, that point is part of the terrifying fact, right? It's not some monstrous personal failing that puts us there. It's not some monstrous illness that puts us there. It's some bad luck. It's some consecutive bad luck that can put otherwise well-meaning good well, people. Well, I don't mean it's bad that. luck either. I, I mean, it, in my experience, it's a catastrophic loss of connective tissue of families and communities. That's where that's that's well, what drives it. It's it, not like I just got dealt a nasty hand. I mean, that may be true too, but there's people who get dealt nasty hands who don't are not on the street. That's fair. I think we could still you could also because because we have nothing to do with our birth and sort of that component. Like we could also talk about like sure if if what you're talking about that catastrophic loss is I was born into a you know, single parent family uh, where drugs played an issue. And therefore, you know, I was trying to get what, you know, like that's nobody's fault. That's, that's some bad circumstances that, that befell that person. And they're otherwise capable and willing and interested in, in leading a more productive life. But, but their circumstances are, are a big blocking up. So when you magnify that, when you start to compound that at, at factors of, of the number of people For who sure. fall into those situations. For sure. It accelerates things. Somebody told me on a call recently, um, it was for one of our clients is a, a insurance company. I won't name which one it is, but 
they work a lot in a category called NSA, which stands for non-standard auto. And it's basically insurance for people that have screwed up or had some issue where they right. can't really get, you know. And on this call, somebody said, after looking at all the data and what the premiums are that this insurance charges, you know, these people, because it's not cheap, okay? Th this person said, wow, it's expensive to be poor. And it is true. So all those, there's accelerants that get dumped over the top of these sort of bad situations that people have. The one thing I might push back on you on is I don't believe anyone is born into a, a single parent, you know, family, a single parent reality. Wow, okay. You know, it takes two people to make a child, but they may not live with one of them or with any of them on, on that level. And that, that's the point I'm talking about is like, how do we address those issues? <laughs> I was, let's put it this way. I was talking about single parent households, not necessarily um, single parent <laughs> procreation. There we, you go. We know, we know all about that one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's a real point though, because I think the issue isn't so much that the issue is what's your circumstances, how you're being raised. Right. In other words, are you being right? And that is definitely something. Another part of what I've learned in 24 years of doing this is it is almost 100 percent, 100 percent of single family or transient upbringings. 100 percent, 100 percent. There's not so, one exception to that rule so, so I, far. I, I'd go back. And again, part of the thing for me about how scary it is, is the thing you just said. Right. So the people who've had some bad luck, the people who've had a mistake or had an issue or had a challenge are the ones that are charged the most to yep. pay for their insurance, right? It's, it's yep. expensive to be poor. Is there a society on this planet where that wouldn't happen? In all honesty, there's not, we don't, that's not the way this planet works. There is no part of a wild natural reserve where the injured animals can go to heal and the predators know to stay out. Mm. Mm. It's not, it's not the way of the world. Yeah. And, and I know that, you know, it's, your it, faith would show you there's a path towards that, well, but, but well, I'm just well, saying, what, you, what I'm saying is it's particularly egregious in a country that has so much and so many more, so much more resources and sure. so much more goodwill. If you're coming up in a developing nation, I've had the good fortune of spending a lot of time in those as well. And everybody's dealing with terrible roads and, you know, bad internet connectivity and wonky electricity. It's like, okay, you have it like a little worse, but when you're living in a country like this one and somebody who's, you know, out on the street or down on their luck or however you want to define it, it's not, it, it has to go through and jump through the hoops they have to jump through, right? It's so much bureaucracy, dude, which is why I have maybe a bit of an allergic reaction to let's pass more laws because I know what that means. That's another piece of paper that at some point is going to become an obstacle to somebody actually, you know, getting what they need. And it puts the value on that piece of paper rather than on a relationship or on some other kind of element, which really does help people. So I've sat in rooms with people with, you know, child protective services or with, you know, some government office trying to get their EBT to work or whatever. And the layers of just bullshit that they have to walk through where a lot of what we do is we just sit in the room with them just to advocate. It's like, well, what is that form? Uh, we need to fill it out. Yeah. But what is it? I don't know, but we need it. It's like, yeah. But then the person doesn't know what to fill in. They don't have their right number. They don't remember their account. I mean, it's a disaster, you know? And it's like, that is in a country like this, the issue that I'm talking about, I'm not talking about, you know, we've got a bad road or I sleep in a, you know, wood, wood house or shed that doesn't happen as much. But in this country, it's like this sort of 
uh, obscenity of bureaucracy that keeps so many people. No, and I get it. But that, again, that's that's part, you're, that's an exact example of the fear that I'm talking about. That 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 population growth and that type of growth triggers that. in me. Right. If if you were telling me that someone like you or your wife, for every hundred next people being born everywhere. There's going to be someone like you and your wife born as well to be that advocate and to be that guy. Then I'd feel different about it. But I know that's not happening. And I actually know, going back to our other conversation about the math, like it's not that it's declining, but it's it's never going to be enough people who want to do what you do to support the people who are going to need that kind of help. Mm. We're just we're through that looking glass now. I don't have a way back and I'm not suggesting uh Logan's run or handmaid's tale type <laughs> type component here. But but, I, but it is it is that type of uh when people talk about population growth slowing down, stuff like that, in especially in certain areas, I'm like, not the worst thing. Yeah. If you told me there are gonna be a million less cars on the freeway in LA tomorrow, I'd hope that everybody got to take a big long vacation. But how do you contend? I'd be how, ecstatic. How, how great was it to drive in LA when COVID was going down? It was awesome. It was nineteen fifty five. It was great. Fantastic. It was like American graffiti. Out there. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it was. I was super stoked going going to the supermarket. Um, what do you make of then the other end of this spectrum, which is if you look at countries like ours, or the, probably the best examples, maybe something like Japan, where they're on this sort of increasing demographic cliff, right? They're just not replacing the population. Immigration becomes that much more important, but even that's a bit of a stopgap, right? Long, long term, that is kind of a stopgap for the next. 500 years, let's say. Um, what do you make of that? Is that good, bad, neutral? Like, how how would you think of that from a, maybe a public health standpoint or a national unity standpoint? Is it cool that like here we are just literally not even replacing our own population in terms of our birth rate? Oh, gosh. Another, another question for the white dude. So, <laughs> well, I mean, there's white people there too. I, I think, well, here's what I say. I I think that you touch on an interesting dynamic, especially if a country that needs immigration, countries that need immigration can pay people to emigrate, right? You can actually economically incentivize them, just sure. like you can incentivize them to have kids and to not have kids. Mm -hmm. So so there are dynamics there that I actually think are intriguing um, about it. I do, you know, if you were to say, it, to me, it doesn't matter here because the more, the more we become the or try to be anything close to the melting pot, salable, whatever you want to call it, ideal. Like the more the more that come here from other places and enrich us all, then then I, I'm I'm good with that. In another country that has a deep, deep, deep cultural lineage, like I could, I, I don't. It's not yeah. my place to say, uh, but I do think that in a lot of those cases, you're going to see market oriented solutions. Right? If they need people, they'll go get people. They'll make it easy for them to get there. And they'll make it affordable for them to be there. And so, you, you are, would you be in favor of government intervention to incent uh, couples having kids, like they do in some Scandinavian countries, as an example? No, I'd be on the other side of that. You would be incenting them not to have kids. Yes, even in I wouldn't be making it illegal, but I there's there's a component, and and it, I'm not saying it's here in the states, but there's other parts of the world mm. where it's probably it's probably a good thing. Now, those governments are never going to do it, and it's not. They're not, gonna, or if they're, they're going to do it, they're, they're not able to like China. They're not able to afford to do it. Right. Well, they, they, again, that wasn't about, that was about punishment for the action, not, not incentive. Right. I'm, I'm, I, I think that we, to your point, 
I'm not a big believer in legislation for everything, but I do believe in some regulation and I also believe uh, in the incentive dynamic. Mm. And I do think you can, as we, as we know from work, right, we can try and you can try and force people to do this or process them, uh, put procedures in place where they do it. It's easy. It's just like, here's the behavior we most value. So we will pay you to engage in it and represent it. So carrot, not stick is what I hear there. Yeah. Interesting. India will be the most populous country in the next, the next time this report comes out, if the trends continue even larger than China based on their, um, level of population growth. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. You and I will stick around till about eight and a half billion. And then we're, we're kicking off this thing. And then what, and then what happens? That'll be a, the subject for my other show for living the call. We can say. talk about that. All right. Last item. And then we'll wrap up. Um, this just happened moments before we actually started recording. Uh, a lot of uh, info coming out of Europe with Poland apparently being, I guess, suffering casualties in this thing, uh, in this war with Ukraine. Apparently some missiles went off in the wrong place and a couple people got killed. And so everybody's saying, well, they're a NATO you know, country. So does that mean that we're one step closer into some kind of confrontation? Because there's Article 5 of NATO, which says, hey, we're going to stick up for everybody who's in NATO. And they've suffered actual casualties in a war. If they've decided to view it as an attack, wouldn't that mean that we somehow get involved in this or NATO countries do? I'll try to answer and then I'll do the analogy. Okay. No. If it was an accident, no. Right. There's a big person who's a bully, known bully, and you see them do something, but you realize it was a total accident. They didn't try to do it. They were spinning around. They were put, taking their jacket off. Do you, do you jump on the bully because they're a bully? Or do you jump on somebody because they are deliberately harming somebody else? Yeah, that's how I and, think of it naturally. But it, 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 then it says something about the Russian strategy here because they're straight up denying it even happened. So they're th- saying that this is a, us. That's not a strategy not, in Russia. That's a way of life. Okay. Well, but even if if that's true, then my point would be that don't they know that they could come out and say, hey, sorry, that was an accident. And if they say that it didn't happen, doesn't that mean that they do want it to escalate? Because we're going to say, yes, it did. Listen, I, 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 I don't want to make chess. this a cultural thing. <laughs> but you already did. Insulted every Russian. This is, not, this, is not, this is not how Russia does stuff at the, at the governmental level. The, the, I mean, like, I, I, I would love to sit here. Let's have, uh, uh, I mean, I'll go to class. I'll put on a school uniform. Like, find me the one where Russia raised his hand and said, my bad. That does not happen. Most governments don't. We're we're no better at it. I don't right? think they'd get a pass even if they did, though. Would they get a pass from anybody if well, they said my bad? So if they are firing missiles at Poland, then certainly it's something that NATO needs to look at. If they're, but if it literally is like you know one of those things, it's one of those things when people are playing with things like that. It happens, and and well, we should stop them from doing that. Okay, and now we're the now we're the global cop. And nobody gets guns except us, and nobody gets bombs except like it's not that's never going to work. So at the end of the day, it's scary. Yeah, but, but for the, sure. But at the end of the day, was it a deliberate move against a NATO ally, or was it a border issue? Yeah, an unfortunate I, I accident in the skirmish. I, my guess is it probably was an accident, but it's kind of interesting how you would play that. Um, but you I don't can, think can, it takes us farther away from a confrontation. I think it's another thing that might edge us closer. No, it doesn't. But the closer you get to a confrontation, the more you better be sure you're ready for the confrontation. Like at this point, it's, it's one thing to talk tough, 
when tanks are rolling. Like there are moments to represent in front, but but the closer you get to really you're going to be in a fight, like you better know what you're doing. And I think in this case, is like, is that is that for us or for them? I mean, at this point, how do you feel about our? Oh, it's one thousand percent for, for us. them. For, for us. us. For us. We we know what they're doing. We know what they're trying to do. There's no illusion of it. People are dying left and right. Left and right. It's terrible. Of course. It's nothing but terrible. Of course. Um, you know, I, I would like to understand why we would take a big principal stand there on NATO and, and the Iranian clerics are starting to uh, execute people who protested. Should we go solve that one? Well, Iran is in part a member of NATO. Though. I understand, but should we go solve that one? Those people, the protesters are being executed. Really? Protesters. I remember when the, when the, pro, what was it? When the, yeah, when the, when the war just kicked off and they were having some protests in Moscow. Did you ever watch any of that video? Yeah. And they just like brought the meat patty, the patty, yeah. the meat wagons and like, I was like, oh, here's your sign. Come, come, come check out the back of this van. And like they, I mean, wipe that stuff out in two seconds. I, and I'm, I'm not trying to, I, I'm not trying to say what our role should be, but like, the, is that our job? Mm. Let's just clarify. Like. If that's ours well, to do, you, for but the even world? if you say it isn't, though, then what? Then what's the teeth in this Article Five of this NATO thing? Then it has no teeth. Then if it's like it, you attack one, you attack all. That's the whole purpose of that thing. That's that's the. You would be correct, and you would have to just establish that there was an attack. Right. Hmm. Right. I mean, so there's people in this country that would represent the immigration from the Mexican border is an attack on the U.S. Mm -hmm. So where's NATO coming in to attack Mexico? It's not happening because there is no attack happening because that's all, sure. right? That's a, sure. that's a spin. It's a it's spin. It's a position. Right? Yeah. And some of this, dude, let's be clear. How much of this is, is it happened? I'm not disputing it. I'm not denying it. I'm not saying it's, but how much of it is clickbait? Like, do, do have you, do you heard? To benefit? You're saying Russia? To the people that publish it. Oh, I see what you're saying. It's only yeah. to the people that publish it. So you're saying it might not even... Well, I mean, two people died, though. Two people died. And two two Polish people died who were not engaged in this war. It's it's tragic and it's terrible. Right. But but the and person that got you to click on that lead... Just made... Right? Like, $2 I, I would like to ask them a question. How many Ukrainian bombs hit Ukrainian people? How many Ukrainian drones hurt Ukrainian people? That's what happens in war. And and at the end of the day, this is something else too, right? Like we're hearing about two things. Like there, history is littered with stories of like, oh, they flew B twenty five B fifty twos over the wrong city. Yeah, right. Right. Like I mean, thousands and th millions of people have died this way. And it's the stunning thing about this world that we live in. I was like, another business idea is, um, it, it's dumb, but like we should pick the most asinine story that we can come up with and, and memeify it and try and get it to get to a place where like, Oh, here, you know, like uh, Bob in Idaho took a giant crap and we got 37 million views through various headlines and various narratives to get people to click through to this one story about this guy talking about his, his excessive bowel movement. Right. And, and we could, you could do it. It's not oh, hard sure, in this world that we live in. It's it, not hard. So again, I'm not trying to say there's no news here, but I am saying like, has Poland been attacked? Yes or no? I mean, it depends on how you look at it. A bomb went off. It killed two of my citizens. If I'm the president, how do I feel about that? Maybe it wasn't, 
it wasn't that was the target, but my people are still dead. And then people are coming to me and going, what the hell? I don't know. I mean, that's that's why I'm happy I'm not in politics, but it's a legitimate thing. And my point is that I don't think this takes us further away from a potential without question we could say it does not move us any further and you could argue it moves us closer but the closer you get to a situation like that the more deliberate you better be mm. final thought did you see uh, Chappelle on snl i did and what'd you think oh i can tell you what i thought i mean I, I i thought it was i mean i haven't seen all his stand-up so i'm not like a Chappelle connoisseur i remember watching the Chappelle show back in the day Thought it was really, really funny, although, you know, very inappropriate in a lot of in a lot of cases. What I was what I was kind of um, surprised by in a way, if I hopefully I can say this articulately, is that the idea that we were doing comedy was more clear with him. I don't know if it was because of the joke disclaimers that he made or whatever, but there were people laughing about a lot of stuff that had it been a tweet or whatever from a comedian would have maybe gotten the exact same treatment that Kyrie got as an example. Maybe not Kanye because he spoke longer form about some of these things, but it did. It didn't seem like it did. I didn't see a lot of fallout that was like cancel him more than he's already been threatened before. So it seemed like there was, I don't know. It just seemed like people were understanding it as comedy. That, that was one sense that I got, even though he said some, very controversial things. Do you, do, you, do you have a different read? This is exactly why I never wanted to do this <laughs> show. <laughs> um, I certainly thought a lot of it was funny. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say that I heard the dog whistle, but I definitely, what I was left with was a place is that well, it's important that we look at our institutions. Uh, I don't think that, religion should be treated the same way. Mm. So if you talk about a religion the same way you talk about the FBI, um, you talk about the police, you know, that's a place that gets to be problematic. And if, if we're saying that that is anti-Semitic, then, you know, that's, that's, that's someone else. Somebody else can define that. But, but I, 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 I do think that there's a dynamic here where we're getting to a place where, if you're putting everything under a microscope, then you're going to have to put everything under under a microscope. Yeah, and and I can understand why people feel how they felt, and I can't say that I think that they're wrong or searching hard. They're not looking hard for the things that they saw in that. And I whether you know the idea that he was he certainly mocked those guys um, and Trump too. Although he said some very insightful things about that, I thought. Well, to that end, I mean, I think the whole point about Trump was like, it's not, that part's not a lie. Like, that's all true. Yeah. Trump really did that. And he wasn't lying when he said it. Right. Like, to his point, like, you want me to pay more taxes, change tax code. And as big, as much as an asshole that people want to make Trump in for saying that or thinking that or doing that, like, tell me how it's different than Tim Cook or Jeff Bezos. Sure. Like tell it's me like where's their where is their tax bill? Not only personally, I mean Apple and Amazon, but like well personally too probably. So so I I just what I do what I do want to go back to and this is the this is super dangerous like he is remarkable in his ability to make you look inside. Yeah. I think go, that's part of his genius. What do I think? Yeah. 
right? That is fascinating to make you kind of do it with a chuckle around some of the stuff that he said. But I, I, I don't dispute w- what people found problematic and, and I can understand it. And I, it's not that I didn't find it problematic, but I'm like, I don't know where we start having these conversations. Yeah. And I think the issue for me is that all comedy on some level is problematic. I mean, and, and the closer that it dances near to that edge, sometimes the more comedy can be extracted from it. And so the question is almost more of about a definition about comedy, right? And, a, and, and I'm sure that varies depending on the listener, right? Because some people look at everything as a part of a political discourse. And I think that having you know, people who are comedians forces us to go, is this a separate thing? Is this a different thing? Or is everything just political commentary? And if it is, of course, everything is going to be offensive because you're going to be on one or another side of it. You know what I mean? But yeah. I just think it's a th- to your third rail. I think it's a, comedy is kind of a third rail. It's a different thing. I got to say the, the student has exceeded the teacher was that was a mind melter. That was, yeah. that was like, I was sort of sitting on the couch in my house by myself and I was like, Am I even allowed to laugh and, at that? And for those who didn't who didn't hear it, what was the what the reference was to what? <laughs> the reference was to it's Kanye. So bad. The reference was to Kanye, and the reference was to the fact that he got suspended. His relationship with Adidas was shattered, and Adidas was founded by people that were Nazis. And and he was saying now the, the he said like I guess the, the student, student exceeded become, the teacher. Yeah. <laughs> like, it would have been funnier if he actually made it that line from Star Wars. I mean, I know that he's kind of alluding to that the Luke's the the, the famous scene where uh, Vader fights uh, Luke Skywalker, and he says, "Oh no, when uh, the student has become the master." When you know when he fights Obi Wan Kenobi, yeah. when Vader fights Kenobi, and he's yeah. like, "He's like the circuit is now complete." When when we last met, I was a student. Now I am the master. Right. Is what he says. Right. Yeah. But like again. I understand. I I heard what people say they heard, mm-hmm. and I can understand why people feel that way. And I think it's a legit. It's a legit thing to to discuss. But but I, I I'm blown away by his ability to make you look inside yourself and like something that strikes you like wow. Either like you know, and and sometimes it strikes like ooh, that's heavy. Sure. And sometimes it's like funny. And then half the time I'm like wow, it's heavy. But was it funny? And then some like that's funny, but was it heavy? And yeah. So that's some power. You ever really want to test your uh, 2022 sensibilities? Go back and watch some of that early Chappelle show, those clips on YouTube. I mean, it's. Oh my God. Well, wow. so, 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 so when you go back, so when you listen to what he said and then you go back and look at the racial draft, right? That's one of the ones I'm talking about. And there, and there's some things in there that like, you don't even, I've seen it a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's some things that are like, I just caught, just caught the one where, what was it? Uh, the the blacks took back OJ, and and Bill Burr and the other white commentator do like the finger tap, like yeah. oh, pulled that one off. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, you're just like, how did they? I, I am stunned because you, usually, like in work and everything, you try and do mm. thing, and you have a vision of how grand, incredible, at full it could be. And if you achieve half of it, you feel great, right? If you've like. Some of that skits that he does, and this is something I'll, a couple of their comedians, I think, pull off, not at his level, but similar, like. Where there's depth of, like, there's, there's multiple layers. so many layers yeah. that get into, like, a big bit. And his bits are like that. They are. Like the Wayne Brady one. Like, I was just like, how did they, like, 
it's almost like you're in a place. It's it's one about permission too, right? It's about like what where can we go with this? Well, and a lot of that is audience dependent too, because I mean, I'm sure he gets a vibe off of the people he's you know he's he's doing. He can go a little deeper with some, maybe not so much with others. Yeah, but it's hard to do. I mean, I could see why you could go that way in a in a nightclub or not yeah, or an improv in an improv standup, but like to be able to pull it off in a filmed event, which is like you know cut set up cut true set up, true harder to do just, there just stunning. But but again, I I can't you know. <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm happy. Look, I'm gonna kill you for this. I'm, 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 I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad Chappelle is out there, and for for what it's worth, I think we need. Um, you know, comedy is that to me is that kind of third rail, and I certainly don't. I'm not even a, necessarily an aficionado of him. I, it's not like I'm, I listen to his stuff, but but catching that bit and then seeing some of the stuff that was talked about it, I think ultimately that is maybe only for that introspective moment to like have people go like, oh yeah, what do I really believe in? I think we're, you know, it's it's good to have comedians doing things and you're free to disagree and not buy a stuff and whatever. And I'm more in that camp, I think, um, despite the fact that it forces some very, very awkward moments. <laughs> so if you haven't yeah. seen it, but we'll I do think the link I, in the show notes. I do think, again, the infographic here for me would be like this timeline about. So so when when was this only funny? Or does it does it go in cycles? Was there a time way back when where it would have been perceived only on the negative side? Only as the dog I think whistle. that's now. I think we're close to that now. Or, no, but I mean, has there been time in the past where we can't really see? I mean, we can go. You can go back and look at really popular movies, and they are uh, beyond patriarchal. Beyond sure. like like pre like like a week before Me Too, and ha ha funny. You know, get her really drunk before you try anything. I was reading this um, these reports on this guy who got picked up for a bunch of different sexual assaults and stuff. Eric Weinberg or whatever his name is. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the writer. Yeah. And I mean, they were telling stories about these writer writers' rooms. I mean, in the 2010s that were like, yeah. you know, no, grotesque. I mean, you go back and see some of those popular movies of the last 20 years, and there's massive stuff that is, you know, we'd understand today better, and maybe we always did, but. Massively homophobic, beyond, mm-hmm. beyond belief in that. And, and a lot, and I'll to, I'm not trying to give myself credit. Like some of that I thought might have been funny in a moment. Some of it I was like, that's not right. That's not right. Right. But, but, but the, the, the dial and the pendulum have swung so far so fast. I think it's a good thing. But I do think that there needs to be a discussion about, you know, it is a pendulum. It's gone one way. It doesn't, it should never come all the way back. Shouldn't come back ninety percent. Like it doesn't have to be a pendulum in the geometric sense of of how it should work. But like, where's this truer line that's out where in uh, closer to the what should be the north star, closer mm. to, to to the better, more of all place. Yeah. And I do think we get to an absolutist place. Like the I don't. Know, did you guys talk about the LA Taco thing? The which one? The which Ohio, part of it? That Ohio restaurant. Um, we didn't actually talk about oh, it. No. Okay. We'll leave that for another one, but like we'll talk about that the next time. Yeah, you know. cultural appropriation, which I always call just cultural appreciation. Well, we have to like that's that should be a segment. Is it appropriation or uh, appreciation? That's going to be the next segment. We're gonna we're gonna dispense with courage or cringe, which we didn't do on this show, but it was a nice conversation anyway. Stephen, thank you for sitting in as always. You did a wonderful job as I expected, but you always uh, you know doubt yourself. I don't know why. Um, anything for the, anything, any parting thoughts or wisdom? No, appreciate you asking me to be here. Of course. uh, Good thoughts to Jesus and his family. Absolutely. Good thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. There you go. Thoughts and prayers for Jesus. All right, my friends, if you're listening to our voices, that means that you should take a second to subscribe to the show, to share this episode with people who may be, uh, shaped or formed or like 
conversations about things that are controversial and prefer light, not heat, because if that's the case, you've come to the right place. We'll see you again next time on Unsiloed. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER.